I listened to a brief piece on the radio as I was driving from the high school to the church after dropping my daughter off at school one morning this past week. The person who was being interviewed was a nurse who works in a hospital in Seattle, and she was talking about how exhausted she and her colleagues are these days. She first talked about how things were early in the pandemic and how at that time, because of staffing shortages, the nurses in her hospital were doing all kinds of things that nurses don't usually have to do, cleaning rooms, making beds, as well as caring for patients. But she noted, even as they were at first overwhelmed with work, things got better as help arrived from other parts of the country. There were other nurses who came from other places to work alongside them. So they regrouped, they adapted, adjusted, stepping up to the challenge in facing the rising tide of patients in crisis. But that kind of adaptive energy can last only so long. And now, she noted, they are just exhausted, physically and mentally. And they aren't expecting help to come from other places anymore as the pandemic has spread to all corners of the country and every hospital everywhere cannot spare its staff to help out elsewhere. She said they have no idea how bad things will get this winter, but they feel unprepared to face whatever is ahead, emotionally unprepared, organizationally unprepared, even unprepared in terms of equipment and supplies. I lose sleep at night, she said, worrying about whether we will have enough personal protective equipment because we are already low on supplies. And then at that point, since I was almost to the church, turning from Beckley Street into the entrance to the church parking lot, there was just one more little bit that I heard. And it was the nurse talking about how even the little things, the simple routine things that might help to sustain her and her colleagues, even those things aren't available to them right now. Simple things like eating lunch together during a break and decompressing or sharing words of support around the table in the staff room. They can't even eat lunch together. And that's the way it is for them, for us. We can't even eat lunch together. Residents at long-term care facilities can't eat lunch together in the dining rooms. Extended families can't eat Sunday dinner together. Lois and I used to go out once a week for lunch together in a local restaurant where we might run into some of you, and we can't do that anymore. And those moments of eating lunch together are not just about eating. They are about connecting, and connecting is necessary for sustaining. And sustaining is what it means to help each other, take stock of where we are, and to gird ourselves for what's ahead. Sustaining is what happens when you can say to yourself, usually in the supportive company of others, okay, I can do this. I don't know all of what is next, but I can see my way forward to at least take the next steps. One of the common themes of the season of Advent is the theme of waiting. And we were talking a bit about that last week, waiting for salvation, waiting for the light, waiting for Christ. 
and even more generally, the task of simply waiting for whatever is next. Another common Advent theme is the theme of preparing. And that's what comes up in the scripture this week. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Just as waiting is difficult when you feel like you are waiting for the unknown or waiting for something you aren't really sure you want or waiting with no end in sight, along with waiting, preparing is also difficult. Preparing is difficult when you aren't sure you have the energy to get from here to there, much less to plan, to clear, to level, to make straight the path. Preparing is difficult when you aren't convinced that your preparations will pay off, that they will ultimately matter. The truth is, as we come toward the end of this year, as the days get shorter and the nights get longer, as the danger of the virus surges around us, as we move one more week into Advent, we are tired. In just about every way, we are tired of waiting, tired of making preparations, tired of waiting on the unending and preparing for the unknown. Preparing, getting ready, getting things ready, not just for Christmas, for the coming of Christ, but getting things ready for anything is hard right now. Preparation these days takes even more work than usual because every kind of preparation we make seems to involve reimagining, envisioning, lining things up in new directions, getting people on board in different ways of doing things, organizing, creating, thinking through each step, seeing each potential obstacle or problem. And you do all that preparing, and then just like that, it can all come apart or be diverted or new obstacles come into view. That's the nature of things right now. For example, we wanted to have this Advent luminary walk and caroling event this evening. It's an idea that's been in formation for a lot longer than most of you realize. As we started preparing, there were all kinds of ins and outs that we thought about discussed, imagined. Where would we set the luminaries? Set them to mark a path into the church property? Set them around the parking lot? What about out in the south area, south of the solar panels? Let's use milk jugs, right? Well, maybe not. That's not environmentally very friendly. Plus, where would we keep them afterwards? Paper bags then with candles and sand to weight them down. But what kind of candles? Wax? Battery? And who will design the layout? And who will set all of this up? And how will we pay for the supplies? Let's look at the budget again. Okay, we're going to have to ask a couple of different commission chairs about their budget lines and what's available, but we can work that out. And don't you think that having a candlelit event outside will be good? We can see each other. We can have a real-life visual of the season. And what about singing? It would be nice to do some caroling of some sort since we can't do it for people who are shut in or in health care. But would it be okay for us to sing even if it's outside? Maybe. We want to sing. How about with masks? How about in a large circle, large enough to keep a good distance? Okay, but how will we hear each other? And someone will have to lead the singing. And will that work at a distance, outside, with masks on? And what about people who can't come, who want to come, who can't come, who can't walk outside, 
and certainly not over uneven ground, who can't leave where they are, who can't risk anything, but who also need the gift of light and song, who need the comfort of those familiar songs of the season and the encouragement of seeing other church family members. Well, we could record the whole thing on video, couldn't we? Of course, there's always the challenge of recording something outside. What if there's wind? Recordings don't work well in the wind. Well, maybe we should worry less about sound and more about sight. Hey, maybe we could use a drone to record the visual aspect at least. Have a view of all of that looking down on the luminaries from above. Okay, what would it take to arrange that? We can still do this, right? But hold on a moment. How will we keep people apart? Remember our other outdoor events, the ones we had earlier in the fall? Remember how it was that people wanted most of all to visit? If we do this event, they're going to want to talk, to visit. So we're going to have to emphasize that this is a meditative thing, a worship type thing, rather than a social event. We can do that. We can make that emphasis. But can we really stop people from getting close to each other, especially as they are arriving and then as they're leaving? We need to be responsible. We need to be safe. You get the idea. Brainstorming, conversation, Point and counterpoint, preparation, purchase of materials, promotion, planning, more preparing. And then our county moves to red status and certain pandemic guidelines kick in. No social gatherings of more than 25 people inside or outside. Churches are exempt, of course, but we aren't going to claim that exemption. That's not how we see ourselves, as exempt from what applies to everyone else as somehow exceptional. So after all that imagining, thinking, talking, planning, it's clear that we need to shut the event down. No luminary walk, no circle of carols, all of that thinking, that talking, that planning, all those preparations, it's all for nothing. At least that's what it feels like. And that's what wears us out. All the work of pushing forward and then all the work of pulling back. Preparations followed by adjustments, followed by reversing course. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Really? Prepare the straight ahead path? Are there any straight highways in these times? Or is every road a switchback, every street a dead end? How do you keep pushing forward with preparations when what is ahead is unknown or may need to be undone, maybe even before you've gotten started, much less reached your goal? What does God expect of us as God's people when we don't know whether our preparations will or can amount to anything? Get ready. Prepare the way. For what? Listen to the prophet. Listen again. A voice cries out. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. 
Do you hear what I hear in that? It doesn't say get to where you intend to go. It doesn't say build it and they will come. It doesn't say make for yourself a straight ahead path. No, it says make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Yes, we are in the desert. But there's work to be done. And the work to be done is to make a way for God to come. To lift up what needs to be lifted up and to level out what needs to be leveled out. Pull some things up and push some things down. If a bridge is needed, then build a bridge. If a boulder needs to be pushed out of the way, then push it out of the way. Don't say, what's the point? Say instead, what's the path? Not what's the point, but what's the path? Because there are things we can do, things we can imagine, ways we can lift each other up. There are plenty of things we will prepare that will fall flat, but there are plenty of things that we will do that will work. Some big things won't work, But some small things might. Some good ideas will have to wait. But some sparks of hope will catch fire eventually. The luminary thing, if I let my mind travel, not only up to the point of what we planned for, but if I let my mind travel there and beyond, it just seems to me like it could be so amazing. Because I can picture in my mind now, even though the actual thing is suspended for the moment, I can picture it. I can picture the youth making the luminaries, maybe pulling them out across the grass pathways in little wagons to put them in place. And I can picture then the pathways that run up and down through the little hills and valleys in that south section of the church property, marked with luminaries, and people walking along with their own lit candles. I can picture it from above, from the bird's eye view, and it is beautiful. I see a stream of people, and then I can see all those people gathered in that big bowl of space just south of the solar array. There's a big flat area in the middle and sloping ground all the way around. It's perfect to do something in the round. And I can picture us there on a crisp, clean December evening. Not just dozens of us, but maybe a hundred or two hundred or more gathered to sing the songs of the season. We are in a circle, and some of us are standing up the sides of the slopes around that flat area. So there's not just one flat circle, but they're almost layers, circle above circle. And in that picture in my mind, we are not wearing masks because we don't have to anymore. And we can hold on to each other. We can hold hands because it's safe to do so. And children are running around in the open space, and those who can't stand are sitting in chairs. And it's cold, but we are warmed by each other's companies and by the hot drinks we will share when the singing is over. And we know that we will be reluctant to leave then, because the glow, inside and out, will continue to capture our imaginations, to warm us. And of course, what I'm imagining, what I'm picturing in my mind, is not something that will happen today this evening, but something that will happen a year from today. 
And by then it will be bigger and better than it would have been today because of the ways in which we started our preparations so far ahead and allowed our imaginations so much time to turn and expand and then to focus. And I am pretty sure that when preparation is married to anticipation, we can expect something holy and hopeful. Now, do I want to be preparing the way for something that isn't happening now, but instead a year from now? Can I wait that long? Can I invest now in the thing that seems so close to the end of my patience, so far from my present realities? Yes. Why not? Why not do things now? Why not make plans now, prepare things now, so that when the time of freedom comes, when the time of safety comes, when the time of fulfillment comes, we are ready. We have pulled some things up and pushed some things down. We have leveled a highway of holiness. We have smoothed a path of compassion and paved it with hope. We've done whatever we can to make a space for the glory of God to be revealed. Don't think of Advent preparation as a checklist of things you are trying to do just in the immediacy of right now so that you, what you have always done in the past can be repeated again just this minute. Think of preparation in larger terms. Think of preparation in terms of earth moving or moving heaven and earth so that things can happen that maybe have never happened before even if the time of fulfillment is still far off, we can be preparing now. And think more broadly than just a seasonal list. What preparations are we making for a movement of justice? What preparations are we making, making to widen the circle of friendship? What preparations are we making to enable ourselves to thrive and not just survive? What preparations are we making for the healing of the planet, the empowering of children, the encouragement of truth? And don't worry about the plans that fail, the preparations that don't seem to lead to the outcome you expected in the timing you hoped for, because the fact is that some of whatever we plan for, some of everything we plan for will fail. Some of all our preparations will be revealed as irrelevant in the passage of time. But some preparations will lead to things that are glorious. Some work done now some seeds planted now, some earth moved now will lead to the new creation, the new vision, the new fruit, the new shape of our lives. The work of preparing is work, but it is also possibility. So it asks for imagination and it offers hope.
A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. May it be so. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.